right, uh, welcome to Detecting the Marvelous. Your non-stop. No, I'm not going to do the voice, but uh, <laughs> this is your uh, comic book uh, for like DC and Marvel and all things comics uh, podcast. And I, my name is Dan Rosen, and I'm joined here with Lainey LaRose and Matthew Ardell. And uh, let's get this started. Uh, one thing I we haven't talked about in the first couple of episodes uh, is that not by like this isn't why we got together, but we just all happen to have autoimmune conditions. I have Crohn's disease, uh, and I would think, and like I, I don't know if it's perfectly why, but I know for me that's definitely something where I was in like comics, be like, ooh, if I didn't have this illness, like I'd be clobbering time and all of that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, if, there is, yeah, like for me, I actually kind of thought. Because I also have epilepsy, which is, you know, uncontrolled electrical flare, like neuron flares. That's like, that could be like a superpower. So in my head, I imagine it like there's this show Weird Science in the 80s where there's mm-hmm. like Johnny, like he had electro- electrical powers and he was a rocker. And I imagine myself like Johnny, like I could move super fast because I had electrical speed and shoot lightning bolts. That, that was what was in my head as a kid. <laughs> it's funny because i think the same thing like i always say that like me getting diagnosed and my journey to remission because i have crohn's disease as well was my origin story but now that i am in remission because you have to spend so much time putting in more effort to do things normally when you're sick now that i'm feeling healthy it just feels like i have that extra energy that extra booth and like to really push through so yeah so it's kind of cool that we've all come together for that yeah yeah like and as Dan mentioned, I also have some some autoimmune things going on. I diabetes and an unknown. Un, they still haven't been able to figure it out. I still have more tests to go. Some something else going on that's making my eyes do weird things. Um, but part of that was interesting too because it kind of felt like the transformation mm-hmm. moment of a superhero. Because I lost fifty pounds in two months. And it's like, I was in an entirely new body. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I had so little energy. I couldn't get up. I mean, I did get up. I just went to my desk and did my job. I didn't shave for like three months. So I had like my lumberjack beard. Mm-hmm. And when I shaved off my beard, it freaked me out because it's like, I don't recognize this face. It was like a, it was a transformation. It was like, you know, Spider-Man in the, 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 the Sam Raimi Spider-Man lifting up his shirt and all of a sudden he's got like rock hard abs. And it's like, <laughs> I don't have rock hard abs, but I have a singular chin now. That's kind of cool. <laughs> you know? Not, not body shaming anybody, but it was just like, yeah. Whoa, I haven't had these cheekbones since 1993. <laughs> um, so yeah. So it was weird. It was very that's, weird. That's it's what funny. in high school would always be my superpower to stay like slim. People would be like, Oh man, like Dan, how do you stay in shape? I'm like, well, every now and then I get sick and I lose 20 pounds. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny because especially because we're talking today with X-Men and everything else, but like when you're talking about transformation, it's kind of cool to think of like people getting sick and like finding that superpower, having that moment and then deciding whether like you're going to be jaded about it or like become the Magneto or if you're going to <laughs> go the Professor X route and just like, yeah. So are you going to use your powers for good or bad? Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny because like Matt's got like a whole slew of like X Men because like you had like your eye like your eye thing you were saying for your um or your uh, yeah power for um from epilepsy so I'm like that sounds like you're like either like Jean Grey or Professor X and then, like your beard you've got beast powers and, like, you know, next, time go, next, next time you go to the doctors they're gonna be like here's some new shades we have like they'll protect you with, like laser like you're gonna get you like out. and i'm glad you went with like a the beard making me like beast not the fact that i'm on multiple podcasts as the pedantic trivia guy who uses <laughs> words that are way too big that that are completely <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> you've got the entire x-men team living inside your body there matt yeah i am legion there we go deep x-men yeah. cut for you okay. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking X-Men and our comic run is from the 1991 series. 
a little bit of history and trivia to start. X-Men was first published in 1963, created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, although it was canceled in 1970 and then revived in 75 by Chris Claremont. Um, the series follows mutant-born uh, humans with a genetic trait called the X-Gene, which grants them superhuman abilities. Uh, most of the mutants and a lot of the, ser uh, the series and, and storylines talk about uh, mutants being subject to prejudice and discrimination. And the group that the X-Men follows is led by their founder, Charles Xavier. A fun fact to include to this is that Stanley wanted to create this group of superheroes who did not have to explain how they got their superpowers. So that is how X-Men began. That's cool. I didn't realize that was like the motivation uh, behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, he mentioned, I think he said in a quote that he's like, not everyone can be bitten by a human, by a, a radioactive spider. So yeah, just yeah. being born with a gene, it just kind of helps solve things. So. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it just like, yeah, it sets up the powers right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean that, that sort of like ties into like how, why one of the reasons why I chose this and like I had always enjoyed X Men and Spider Man comics as a kid, um, but always felt like a little lost when I was reading them because like there's so much history. Like by the time we get to this, like the X Men have died, they'd come back. You know, Angel had had his wings torn off, and then he became a Horseman of the Apocalypse. So there's all this these stories and history, and I, you're I'm completely lost. But the thing about the X Men, um that really appealed to me was you know, i mean i was you know, I, i'm bisexual so you're so dropping some heavy topics on <laughs> on this one um but so i was like a, a queer kid in a time in the 90s and when it wasn't really cool yet like it wasn't and i don't mean that like oh it's cool it's like it, <laughs> there were not a lot of safe spaces there weren't a lot of queer alliances in high schools i mean you know people said gay or the f word as derogatory terms on the regular um mm -hmm. and like i felt like a kinship with the x-men and i mean i think a lot of marginalized groups feel feel yeah. that kinship um and i mean it doesn't you know a big part of that is to do with the fact that you know like like they sort of drew a lot of heavy inspiration from figures within the civil rights movement when they created Magneto and they created Charles Xavier. Um, so these are very iconic characters. Um, but yeah, my understanding was always like Magneto is Malcolm X and Professor X is, uh, yeah, sort of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So yeah, yeah, yeah. which you know, in 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 retrospect, I'm like doesn't hold up very well with where they went with the characters right because charles xavier's kind of a piece of crap <laughs> but that's sort of beyond the scope of this issue but yeah i mean he's done aside from raising an army of child soldiers he's also had sex with multiple patients and uh it, it including like a, a, okay. a yeah including a survivor of the holocaust you know so it's like just she she comes to him for to deal with her PTSD and he has sex with her and it's like oh oh <laughs> wow yeah. yeah yeah so so I mean I think we could dedicate an entire episode to how much of a piece of crap Charles Xavier turned out to be and he helps become onslaught who is also pretty bad <laughs> yeah yeah exactly he's 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 a problematic character that didn't age well but within the context of the new run which we're not doing here where mm -hmm. the X-Men are basically a weird death sex cult living on Mars in their own private sex island. Like, <laughs> the, like this is just like, it works. It works yeah. in that context. It works. <laughs> well, and I, I think they like, they always like kind of like, it's like, I feel like they always would have a run that like, uh, would I seem like to model certain, like there's certain moments where like, it was like basically like mutants are in like, concentrated into a camp area and so like that kind of like for jewish representation then other like issue runs where it was very much like this is you know what like you know black people have like had to do with like and things like that and like there's one that was where it was very much and i haven't read the latest sex death cult stuff but there was one <laughs> like run where it was like uh 
like where it was very much like modeling after like sort of what queer community people have to do, transgender mm-hmm. people have mm-hmm. to deal with. And so they've always kind of, I feel like taken inspiration from different marginalized mm-hmm. groups, different periods of oppression, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and well, I'll t- touch on this in a couple of minutes when we chat about the story of this run, but they go to Genosha, which is modeled after South Africa and the apartheid state in oh, South Africa. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. that makes much more sense, yeah. Yeah, so this is like post-Reformation. Right. So at, because like in the comics, the mutants are set free after a genocide event that killed the majority of their population. Um, and this is sort of like a, like this, which is why Magneto and his acolytes are like trash in the place. Um, so it's kind of an interesting commentary on on the the sustained racist behavior within South Africa post the freeing of Nelson Mandela and the the the, the reformation and 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 the equalization that was supposed to take place. So so yeah, they they constantly sort of touch on these important milestones. And that's interesting because this is 1991, so it's. Before the was it 1993 election or there was a I'm trying to think, but like that, this would have been like very timely at the time. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of predicting trends it was sort of jumping ahead and, and looking at wow. it because it was like this is in, this entire time. It's like, you know, the fall of communism and Russia and Russia, the liberation of of the um uh, black people in south africa the fall of the berlin wall it's just it was like people kind of you know boomers at no no not being derogatory but boomers had the 60s with the summer of love and 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 you know then the cocaine riddled 80s chen x we had had like our moment of of wildness in the 90s where the world just completely changed overnight like like I grew up doing duck and cover drills when I was growing up in Pickering for because it was a target of nuclear weapons from from oh, Russia. Yeah. Uh but wow. then like within a decade Russia's or Soviet Union isn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like the world changed under underneath us and I think that's one of the things the X-Men is very good at is capturing those moments in time and using these characters as as an analogy for these real life experiences wow yeah and i just looked it up it was yeah 1994 was the first south african election where all people of all races could vote so yeah that this run is actually very like ahead of its time in a way yeah so i mean it's like probably at the start of the reformation there of like the d racist i don't know what you call it the de-racistification yeah. of south africa um but yeah i like that i like that word i'm gonna use de-racistification <laughs> it exactly it's off every the day this week yes <laughs> uh, and i just just quickly before you get started i want to say because i was talking to i've had conversations about this with my in-laws my wife's she was born in south africa but the family left in 19 19- I think it was like, yeah, it would have been 1988, I believe. And they were saying at that point, they didn't think Mandela, like it looked so bleak for them. They didn't think Mandela was going to be freed. Uh, They said, yeah. So they said like, oh, we're like getting out of there. It's a lot. And a lot of her like relatives or family, like they haven't even gone back to visit because they're like, yeah, we see no point. Um, But yeah, like it was, they said it was like a really scary time in the late 80s, early 90s there. Yeah. Well, let's uh, go back in time then. Um, yeah, so like this is, I, I kind of touched on this a minute ago. Um, this is set after the return of the X-Men from the grave. Uh, Professor X had a marriage to an alien empress annulled. Uh, she just didn't really? like him like that anymore. Um, and the so the, they basically they'd gone so bonkers. Like you had uh, Scott and Jean on X-Force. You had, had like, wolverine and living in australia with and fight fighting cyborgs and teleporting with a with a um, aboriginal man operating like as their personal teleportation chauffeur 
it had gotten weird. So they just were like, let's get back to basics. And I mean, so we have the two teams, um, gold team and blue team, and uh, which became the X-Men, which is the comic we're talking about today, and the Uncanny X-Men, the traditional title. Um, so they ran with one team featured in each. But during these first three issues, uh, this is sort of the, the birth of the new squad. Um, this new status quo, Magneto is now withdrawn from the Earth. He's living on Asteroid M and sort of like set himself up with his own private, you know, sexy pad and the scars. Um, and this is also after Magneto has gone through a kind of a, a change, um, which is touched on later on. He has uh, been spent some time with the X-Men. So he's kind of in this new Zen place uh, where he's like, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. I'm just done with y'all. Uh, so, well, we we start off with action in a very Marvel manner. Um, we've got some really cool space shuttles that no way existed in 1991 uh, being, <laughs> being chased uh, or chasing a space shuttle full of mutants. And they're trying to find asteroid M uh, when Magneto just just EMPs a lot of them. He's like, you guys are on my lawn. This isn't cool. Rips them out of the space shuttles and sticks them in his his foyer. Um, not but before giving them a bit of a scare. Um, there's some real '90s. These er, the first couple of pages of uh, issue one. There's some really '90s design work going on here. Like you look at those spacesuits. There's like no way those would be functional. Yeah. They're, they're they're like there's like this, too much shoulder pads. What's with the halfy space helmet where you got the big goggles at the top, but you can see their mouth? Like, it's just like. But to be design. fair, to be fair, it's just coming out of the 80s where big shoulder pads were the things, right? That's so true. if you're going to divide a spaceship, yeah. That's true. There, there was some bleed over. I had a, had a sports jacket in 1993 big shoulder pad energy there so it like, did it did last a like while. a david byrne uh kind oh of, yeah. yeah oh yeah I, and i looked like a kid wearing his father's dress jacket um <laughs> but yeah so so while all of this is going on in orbit over over russia because you know you're gonna park your asteroid over any country do <laughs> yeah. it over the soviet union during its collapse because that's a great idea mm-hmm. um we have the X-Men settling back in to the Xavier mansion with this long exposition uh, that is so drawn out, which is again, a very early nineties thing, making a point of dropping some politically inappropriate terms that did not age well, uh, <laughs> talking about the age of the, the mansion. Uh, so just proving that Charles Xavier is from a family of colonizers. Um, but yeah, they're settling back in. They're testing their 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 new security systems uh, with a new lineup. And I mean, I do appreciate they have Forge, who is um, First Nations. They have Banshee, who kind of got shuffled out for a while there. So they're bringing back some characters that were kind of lost over time. And they're, they, they spend the first few pages. Yes, we have some action, but we also have some dialogue and some exposition talking about how uh, a lot of mutants have died because Charles Xavier went away. And uh, there's a lot of pain, and they're still just getting their, their feet together. Uh, but we get to see the new lineup. You know, we've got the addition of Gambit and Psylocke, and Gambit, Psylocke, and Rogue as regular team members. Beast is back from the Avengers, uh, with a, where he is a carefree, hairy nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and they, they just, uh, raid the the mansion and that's what we've got for the first little bit getting to see the power sets getting to see again hr complaint you know you don't kiss a teammate uh despite how sexy channing tatum would be as a cajun (laughs) i i I think gene would probably even robot gene would probably complain about that to hr i Uh, I was thinking about that because i guess like when they go through the test like to like win or whatever he says like i will collect my prize or whatever and then he like kisses jean gray and then who also won like has like a boyfriend like Mm -hmm. who is like like present maybe they weren't 
dating at the time. I don't know. Technically, she they they're kind of on the not together right now because she's back okay. back from the dead. Oh, I see. Fair enough. And they kind of became unmarried at that point. I don't know. It's a bit yeah. weird. Yeah. I know then, that. So I guess- um, yeah. Being undead causes a lot of marital issues and most yes. relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scott went and hooked up with a clone of her and had a baby who travels in time and then becomes Phoenix in the future and comes back. So, but yeah, does that really weird. count as cheating? Yeah, but can well, you- no, because, because yeah. Gene was dead, so it wasn't cheating. Okay. But it yeah. does make it a little bit weird that also that he didn't realize that, hey, this is a clone of your wife. Like, I mean, wouldn't she go like, didn't you recognize me? Like, yeah. didn't you recognize that? Like, okay, sure. Dr. Or Mr. Sinister may have messed with the genes a little bit, but pun. still pun. Yes. Pun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit of weird energy. It's a bit of weird energy that we get to see a little bit more of later on. Um, it's not yeah. cheating. It's not cheating. If they're your partner's clone, Laney. Uh, <laughs> You can hook up what with happens if it's a twin, which is almost the same thing as a clone. I mean, then that though was up in a terrible barrel of worms. Yeah, but yeah, I think he gets yeah. passed because Gene was dead. Yeah. Oh. They were on a break. They were on a break. <laughs> yeah, they were on a break. That's what you Yeah. So, so during the post mortem of the the exercise, where Wolverine just proves how Wolverine he really is, like I'm gonna get my claws in your face, bub. <laughs> uh, like he's Canadian. This is just not realistic energy going on here. Right. Uh, he's okay, from maybe Alberta, if he's a hockey he's player. I was gonna say he's this from is Alberta. like. Canadian trucker energy going yeah, on. Yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. I do think he probably would have been a part of the convoy. Yeah, uh, yeah like to be honest. Uh, sitting there drinking a Molson, smoke, smoking his cigar um, on a truck, but yeah. with a very unflattering flag about Justin. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we get Nick Fury calling up, telling them, oh, this has all gone down. Wearing his ridiculous, like, th- this is a thing in the 90s. And I, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee are particularly prone to it. Uh, these ridiculous little half helmets or quarter helmets where it just covers your ears, the back of your head and your your jaw and nothing else. It's like, what is that good for? But that is peak 90s. Pouches and weird little ineffectual helmets. That is, and ankles being optional when you get into later into the nineties of comics. Um, but yeah, so Magneto, the deal gets spilled, uh, Nick Fury, who's suddenly friends with the X-Men that wasn't canonically true, um, up until that point, but he's, oh, he did work with Wolverine. Uh, I'm getting distracted. Uh, but Magneto saved all the people. He's pulled them into the lobby. He's got some big David Bowie and Labyrinth vibes going on with these like skin tight tights, this flared shirt where he's tied off the sleeves, but he's got it like open so everybody can see his like ripped abs. Um, and things go a little bit sideways pretty quickly. Um, they, this because there's some play, there's some games going on here, uh, and it's pretty obvious right from the start. Like one of the mutants gets killed, um, and this sets into motion the new resistance for the mutant supremacists led by Fabian Cortez, one of the mutants that fled to Asteroid M. Cortez kind of ingratiates himself to Magneto, um, and and because of this murder, he was able to get Magneto to give them amnesty which he then somehow quickly leverages to Magneto to being like, you know what, now that you've got these, got us on board, we're going to need protection. You know what that means? Nukes. Because that's where everybody's mind immediately goes. Like in that we last issue or last episode, we talked about um, the Fantastic Four. And the, they in the first issue, they fly jets into the middle of not New York and shoot a nuclear missile at... Johnny Storm, that would have killed everyone in New York. That is that is a Marvel go-to. It's like, we're going to let out the nukes. Um, so, Hulk, also nukes. Hulk yeah. as well. Hulk as well. I mean, it was nuclear energy and radar, everything back then. Yeah. So it's all new. 1991, less of a legitimate reason, but at least it's a little bit more believable because 
we Magneto goes back to a nuclear submarine that he destroyed many, many years ago and takes the nuclear missiles from there. And this is where we get to see Scott sucks right out of the gate. Um, leading blue team, he completely overreacts, mm. starts attacking, uh, attacking Magneto, leaving Rogue as the sole voice of reason. The only one willing to like talk to this person who until recently had been a part of their team. Um, but unfortunately, the Russians or the I should I should be clear. They're not Russians. They're Soviets. Different mm-hmm. time. The Soviets overreact and shoot a missile, again, a low yield nuclear weapon at Magneto. Um, but it hits Rogue, who's at this point uh, got super superpowers uh because this is the period when she has all of the powers of ms marvel as she was known then this is before uh carol danvers became captain marvel um so she's like pretty impervious to damage but she was pretty wounded so magneto drops her off at a genosha hospital uh and then flies back to his fortress in the stars with his nuclear weapons um, which immediately goes badly. He passes out. Cortez uses his powers on him, which are still kind of ambiguous at this point. Um, we we have the acolytes, as they've now called themselves, somehow got really super sexy outfits. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got these uniforms from. They've literally been on the station for a day. Already have team uniforms. Uh, they attack Genosha and start trashing it. X-Men show up. Things escalate immediately um, because, you know, Scott has no chill. Everybody's like Wolverine's super intense. No, Scott is a terrible leader. Uh, Wolverine's also still more like calculated, I find. Like he's like, no, like we're not going to like go in full blaze and he'd be like, we're going to sneak because he looks at things like a hunt, I feel like. Whereas, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, he's yeah. and he's a trained spy and a soldier. Scott is a child soldier who's just lived long enough to be dangerous. That's yeah. what it comes down to. He he's lived through the 60s. He's fought dinosaurs. He's not had proper formal training because, I mean, basically, you've got a humanities and biology professor training an army of superpowered children. This is not going to go well. Um, So you got Scott jumping right into it. Um, So when Magneto wakes up because Cortez put him to sleep, he sees, oh, this crap's going down. I don't like this. Um, So he travels down uh, to Genosha and is like, nope, time out. This has got to stop. Again, does not go well. X-Men attack. And I mean, they're sending Wolverine against Magneto. Wolverine is literally made of metal. You know, mm. not even bioorganic metal like Colossus. He's got like an, a, an iron alloy lacing his bones. Not a good strategic move. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so Magneto isn't worried about him. Uh, but they all get captured, go back up to um, the, uh, the asteroid M, and that's where the end of issue well, it's kind of the end of issue one, beginning of issue two. Um, in issue two, what happens then is Moira, who Moira McTaggart, who's been hanging out at the X-Mansion, helping with the reboot of the X-Men mission, decides to go to like the one place on the grounds that doesn't have security to protect them from Magneto. Uh, and Charles is like, no, I'll follow her. And, and to, to their credit, Forge is like, dude, not a good idea. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. They go down. Within five minutes, Magneto has ripped the cottage, the boathouse, out of the ground and flown them into space. Um, This is where we get, uh, this is where we get our big expedition dump in issue number two, where we recap that at one point, Magneto was DH'd to a baby. He was given to Moira McTaggart to raise as her own, because she has a son, Proteus, one of Charles's many love children, who's dying because of his mutant powers. She tries to manipulate his genes, 
which of course brings up the obvious comparisons throughout the next several issues, which I don't feel comfortable with Dan. I don't know how you feel with, with yeah. them. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a weird thing, uh, but I also just wanted to say how like that last like expedition jump you were talking about, it really shows like the fine line between like X-Men being, you know, like the this like, cutting edge sci-fi and also like the young and the restless like like, de-aged as a baby and raised as her own because charles loved child with her was which you know and now that you say that that makes me actually more okay with the new x-men because it's kind of like a cw version (laughs) of the x-men like it's the 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 um oh what's the name of that the arch arch river it's like riverdale. the riverdale yeah. of the x-men where they're all right. super sexy teens getting it on um <laughs> so so yeah so okay you know what that makes it you know you've just fixed <laughs> the, the, the new x-men for me good because i was worried you were going to be like on twitter like cancel professor x and then like... <laughs> oh no professor oh, sure, x is still yeah. a piece of crap <laughs> you know he's still a piece of crap but uh like I, I will blame that on the fact that these were comic book writers, not actual doctors writing this. So they probably didn't realize it's against a psychiatrist because he's also a psychiatrist. He's not just like a biology professor and a humanities professor. He's also a practicing psychologist. They're not supposed to sleep with their patients. So you're not. No, I no. I have to find a new psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Therapists may have been crossing some boundaries there, but, um, but yeah, so we get this perf- it turns out that, you know, of course they're like, okay, well, he is the coolest bad guy. He is to the, to the X-Men, what Dr. Doom is to the Fantastic Four. So miraculously, the, the Shi'ar age him up and Magneto gets back to full age. And that's when Professor X like goes and marries an empress and leaves him in charge of the X-Men for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Tr- Professor or Professor X and Moira McTaggart are in the hands of of Magneto, who assumes that Moira brainwashed him. Um, so she ins- he insists that she use those same techniques to make the rest of the X Men that he has captured love his philosophy, because that's how he's going to screw over Professor X. He's going to steal his students. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, uh, well, we cut back to um, the, the 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 asteroid M. Blue team's having a pool party. Um, they all hate Professor X now. Well, they don't hate him; they still call him Sir. But now they're all like Team Magneto. Um, but so you like know, Sir. But like, yeah, you know. Sir. We respectfully are now part of Magneto's team. Yeah. You know, we you know we got the T-shirts and everything. Yeah. Um, so so while while team blue team is literally having a pool party uh, in space, Storm is getting shit done because that's always been the way it is. Like Storm is the real. She always should have been the leader of the X Men, mm-hmm. like since day one. Um, but yeah, so she's back um, with Gold Team, Jean, Colossus, Storm, Angel. And backup members uh, Forge and Banshee as extra muscle. They're testing a new plan, and they've they've got an idea of how to get up there. Um, and Blue Team kind of a bit weird. Wolverine takes off. Rogue feels a little bit strange, and this is where we sort of find out that that things haven't really been sticking. Uh, and so we've already bled into issue three at this point. It's like, it's, and this is something very different from the last run that we did where they're very self-contained. This is where we start to get serialization. Well, I mean, it's been part of comics since the Bronze Age is when we really see it. Um, but it's it's really heavily handled in this one where you have, like we have set up for the next issue, but you got to read all three to really understand what's going on. Um we find out Cortez was actually the brainwasher all along. He was messing with uh, Magneto's powers. That's what made him behave the way that he did. He ha- kind of made him more aggressive. And he's going to be one of the big, big bads in this run. Um, we've already got teased. Uh, uh, we got a tease of Omega Red, who's the big bad of the next run. And 
Magneto and Charles have an exposition off because that's how <laughs> Charles and Magneto roll. Um, you know, Eric and Charles just debate club enemies. Um, <laughs> and and this is where you lean really heavily into the the analogy of you know Martin Luther King and and um, Malcolm X, and it's just it's. You can tell it's written by some white guys. Let me just put it yeah. that way. It's like I wrote a couple like, biographies. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really heavy handed, and eh, in the end, it shows like Magneto is actually the the better of the two two of them in mm. in in this narrative, which I don't know how that holds up with the analogies, but kind of holds up with it holds up much better with the comic because it shows that Magneto realized his failing and he's not going to punish Charles and he wants Charles to succeed. He's just of the opinion in 1991, there's no opportunity for peace, which kind of having grown up in the nineties, the eighties and the nineties, the optimism coming out of the eighties into the nineties was incredible. And during the Clinton years, it really felt like, oh, we're at a new age of peace. This is the most peaceful that the world has ever become, which makes it easy to have have the beliefs like Charles Xavier does. Makes it easy to think, we'll, we'll all get along. Racism is going to go away. People are going to love mutants and, and, and people are going to be cool with gay people because like Ellen's got a sitcom now. Uh, but the reality is Magneto saw it for what it was and Donald Trump's just waiting in the corner biding his time before he gets a reality show and uh yeah so they were forward thinking i think there was like that that note of cynicism um that was probably felt out of place at the time but it was really prescient um but, but yeah so that's issue one two three of x-men um and it's pouchapalooza um so many pouches so many pouches <laughs> It's uh, I, one of the things I liked about X-Men growing up, because uh, I'd say Wolverine was probably my second favorite hero, but I also really liked how like there was more nuance between Magneto and Professor X, like the main <laughs> like fighting, like there's always like, you know, Mr. Sinister or like other villains that are like very like clear bad guys, but how like yeah. it is them trying to like always figure like, you know, going back and forth and like sometimes even Magneto can be right where Professor X can be wrong or that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was just interesting. It's like, there's, there's just a lot more nuance. I find, and the, I, I love DC comics. I do. But this is where I think Marvel does better because they, they ground their heroes and their villains in something that that's a touchstone um, you know, homophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, they ground them in something that really does break people. Mm. Whereas like Lex Luthor is like, I lost my hair in the golden age. That That's what, how he turned evil. Uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and at least later on, they made it something, because like the DC characters are all archetypes. Like Batman is the archetype of perseverance. Wonder Woman is the the archetype of like the hero and like, like this, this nobleness and, and same with Superman, like Wonder Woman and Superman are kind of similar in that regard where Superman's the boy scout. And then you, they're villains that you play off of them. Like the Joker, anarchy, chaos, Wonder Woman. I find her rogues gallery is hit and miss. Like, you know, Cheetah is really the one that stands out or, or maybe like she'll go up against the gods sometimes, which doesn't always like I found her rogues gallery a little bit weaker always, but then you look at Superman and you've got, you know, you've got like characters like Doomsday or Lex Luthor, which is his, his big bad. And it's just like, okay, later on they make Lex Luthor a racist to aliens, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's no, it just doesn't land. It just feels like there with, with Magneto. This is a guy I'm like, yeah, He's got a point. For sure. Yeah. I mean, even I'd say, like, if you look at, like, uh, yeah, like, other Marvel villains, like, I always thought one thing I was really 
liked about like Black Panther, for example, in the first MCU Black Panther movie is I was like, Killmonger's got a Killmonger's got a lot of really good points. I don't mm-hmm. know if I agree with his execution, but like yeah. he was like basic like he basically teaches a lesson to the hero. Yeah. Well I mean he was of, in a lot yeah. of ways he was like Magneto. I find yeah. like yeah. he was grounding it in, in the African-American experience and the, the trauma. And I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the difference between Marvel and DC. Marvel is based on aspiration or sorry. DC is based on aspirational iconogra- uh, iconographic imagery. Marvel. Like icon, almost. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and Marvel is based on trauma is yeah. it's based on like guys who saw war, people who grew up in sh- in the Bowery in New York with like people selling food on corners and using carts like that image that's in that for that fourth issue of Fantastic Four from last last episode yeah. probably was what Jack Kirby grew up around growing up in New York. Um, and yeah, so yeah. But like, what what do you guys think? Like, what do you guys think of the nineties of this? Like, we we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff, which I you know I can understand with the X Men. But yeah, like, like what? Like, only Storm has a reasonable outfit. Every yeah. other woman has a wedgie. Yeah, I was looking at Psylocke. I'm like, man, like you need like a very personal wax job to wear that, like. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when they cast Olivia Munn, I mean, I'm not a big fan of her, her acting, but I'm like, okay, that she has the aesthetic, but I mean, like that has got to have sucked to like have to put on that costume. And yet, and when she was in that, 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 uh, age of apocalypse movie, it was very comics accurate. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that had to suck. <laughs> Even like Jean Grey's like almost looks like she's got like side boob showing or something like that. Like I can't like. Yeah, it's it's a it's a contour line because it is a full bodysuit she's got on. Yeah. yeah, but it does give that illusion. It does get that illusion. But why a thong on the outside of her bodysuit? Yeah. Like, why does Jean have that thong on? I mean, like. It was the 90s, and we were all about the whale tail back then. Yeah, like some very horny artists, I feel like, writing these. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you you know, they chrome up Moira McTaggart. All of a sudden, she's naked underneath there. You notice that? I think Jim Lee just wanted to draw a naked silver lady. Yeah. Like, he's just like, yeah. yeah. And, like, I mean, yeah, like, when you look at the way, like, yeah, like, Mystique would be drawn or, like, everything. Like, it's always um yeah like it's a i don't know yeah like the 90s i feel like just lots of like horny artists because like you'd have like superheroes like wearing like stilettos like while running for like in the <laughs> battle <laughs> yeah, yeah, i don't know how you feel about that Lainey, but yeah so. yeah like i mean the wardrobes and stuff were were interesting i i didn't focus so much on that i gotta be honest matt when i read the first issue i was getting prepared to hate this entire run just because of the <laughs> the chaos on the page like oh, reading it you know i yeah. felt my age like with like these novella like comic bubbles mm-hmm. and like you couldn't even figure out what parts you were supposed to read when and like my yeah, head yeah, hurt yeah. on the first episode and like the first issue uh, but then i was so mad that the plot was so good that i was like had to go to <laughs> yeah. the next one right away but i was like yeah like i like my eyes hurt i felt like i needed to like up my prescription then my glasses all of a sudden like, <laughs> yeah so much so much exposition yes yeah yeah there's like 17 like word bubbles on like one page and i'm like oh yeah, yeah. yeah but it, it's kind of a weird again like it's interesting because like the first comic we did we did our first four comics we did with the Fantastic Four were a very transitional period, especially for Marvel, where they were moving from Golden Age comics to Silver Age comics. And this is kind of, this is like the Bronze Age, which is like the 80s into the post-Bronze Age. I don't even know what that's called. I got a phone up on my, my yeah. But it's like, it's the change in format again. So it's like when we get into more modern, the, more contemporous comics with the more <clears throat> sort of the more thought out layouts where it's not just like let's throw everything at the page yeah and like m- throw formatting of your 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 cells to the wind and just put a wall of text 
you know, so it's it's a, a weird transition. But what angered me more is like when you actually like took a step back, you got angry because the art was so good. It's just like it was, it was, and that's a cool thing. I find is a really experimental period too because you had yeah. like hyper realistic stuff like mm -hmm. this. Then like a couple of years later or around this, you get you're getting stuff like Sandman, which is push like it's it's almost fine art if not is fine art in a lot of issues. And then you, like there was this one spinoff of, of the books of magic, which is a spinoff of, of, of Sandman where it was, it was straight up cubist art. It was following Dr. D and it was cubism as a comic book. Mm -hmm. And so you've have all of these existing contemporaneously. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's why this is a, freaking hot mess because everybody's like trying all sorts of things and like this is a deep thoughtful examination of these topics we need this exposition mm -hmm. and to be fair they do they calm down in issue six or issue second uh two and three yeah yeah uh, i like, think yeah, the, no, but, the the words are still there and it is like a novel every page, but like yeah. at least like it's easier to follow for sure. Yeah. I think by the time they got to the, the boathouse, they're like, okay, yeah. everybody's up to speed. We don't need to recover any more territory. Let's go from there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like nowadays, like comics, it's almost gone in the opposite direction where there's like a lot less dialogue on the page. And yeah. like you'll get more like splash pages where it's just like someone be like, I'm here. And then like, yeah, which yeah. is a very yeah. Frank Millery kind of thing. Right. Too. You yeah. Know, like where you get these like iconographic images of, of Batman kind of thing or Daredevil during yeah. his run on that. True. Mm -hmm. And even comparing like what we read from Fantastic Four, the very first issue to this, it was a huge juxtaposition. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just the difference yeah. was just outstanding for sure. And, and it was, what was, what was, I found kind of neat was not just the differences, but where they were the same. There's same clunky, there's clunky language. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if it's because comic book writers aren't properly socialized. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you see this, like, but like Betsy, Psylocke does not talk like a human. They talk, she talks like an American imagines a fancy English lady trapped in a Japanese lady's body would talk <laughs> like super weirdly formal. That's the thing, too, is like it's not just her It's like I, when I was reading it, you know how you get sort of like the accent in your head as you're reading it. There were a couple of characters um gambit even like i know he's cajun but like sometimes like the the phonetics of what he was saying just like i'm just like stopping in my head like no no one would speak this way <laughs> and, yeah. yeah yeah or rogue and her southern drawl like ah, doll yeah. and like it's like oh no like, rogue worked better because i think she was a more established character by this point like she'd been around for a longer time whereas gambit was still pretty new so I don't think people were as experienced writing for him, but it's like, I, I'm sure Cajuns were just like punching walls throughout yeah. the South. <laughs> like, no, no, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I will say Rogue had like the best line mm. in the entire run, which was when he was, she was talking about Magneto and Professor X and like their differences. And she said something like, y'all might speak the same language, but the words are different or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. And I mean it's 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 interesting because this is this is the X-Men that kind of defined the X-Men moving forward. Um, like this period. Because you look at the cartoon, this is the imagery that they use. They revisit the imagery from this run um in the movies the most. Like it's just it's the one that really stuck. Because I think this is the peak of the idealism that you had there like you'd gone through <clears throat> like you'd gone through the techno organic virus which was aids totally aids you've gone mm -hmm. through the genosha um in the genosha genosha uh genocide event which was basically like 
you know, the Holocaust where they just played it out on the page. And it's just like, oh, so this was like they got to the other side and they're like, yes, we're at a good point now. Things are getting better with the, these sins are of the past. Um, and it, it, it can kind of see that like you get sexy Magneto, not like <laughs> monologue. He's still monologues, but he's sexy while monologuing. <laughs> Labyrinth Magneto. Matt Labyrinth Magneto, David Bowie as Magneto. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a fun time and beast before he becomes like freaking evil. They ruined mm-hmm. beast for me. They've totally yeah. ruined beast for me. Um, like it's they thought they, they like did. Um, <laughs> sorry. What is that? I say it's because you two share so many similarities. Yes. Like, I mean, prior <laughs> Yeah, we're both hairy, have big feet, and and use. We talk way too much. We talk. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that was that was great. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, anything that you guys want to wrap up with before we go? Just that this episode was brought to you by the word unracistification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm never going to live that down. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, but great. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, this this has been another episode of Detecting the Marvelous. Um, we look forward to you coming back to being possible to us covering possibly one of the best runs of Batman ever. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I love me some Batman and uh, I was really excited when we chose this one. Uh, we will be doing the House of uh, the Court of Owls, um, the first several issues that cover up to the 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 break when it moved on to the next. Well, they had like a whole bunch of them, didn't they? Like Court of Owls, and it was like City of Owls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So join us next ep- in next episode, and uh, yeah, up up and away. I don't know. Which uh, <laughs> 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 superhero? Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Detecting the Marvelous, a Far From Here Productions and ShowbizMonkeys.com co-production. Your producers have been Dan Rosen, Lainey LaRose, and Matt Ardell. Music composed by Glenn Bouchamp. And art by Ben Steamroller. Thanks for listening, and remember, true believers, Excelsior! Excelsior!